0: Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I am your co host, Cliff Schechter, here along with the intrepid John Aravosis. Hi, John. Hello, Cliff. Um, today, we have a really interesting guest. We're going to go yeah. a little bit beyond politics. How dare we? Um, but politics, history, medicine. We are lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Brandy Schilache. I should have asked you how to pronounce your name ahead of time. Bob, but...
1: It's Schilache.
0: Schilache. It's a, that is a quality Italian name. It is. Uh, <laughs> um, Dr. Schilache, or Brandy, as we can call her now that we know her, um, is the editor-in-chief of the British Medical Journal's Medical Humanities Journal. And I guess it's the publishing arm, but hopefully I'm getting that right. Um, she's also well she's a doctor she's what well, we're not allowed to call you doctor though are we you're like Joe oh Bott. you can absolutely oh it's okay even though you only got a phd because i thought you well, know Well,
1: technically phds were the original doctors you know you the do. reason you say medical doctor is to differentiate the medical you are, medical are correct i'm being sarcastic <laughs>
0: because republicans can be assholes about this type of <laughs> thing sometimes um, and um we have her here because beyond all that good stuff she is also the author of three books the most recent one, which is fascinating, is called Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, A Monkey's Head, The Pope's Neuroscientist, and The Quest to Transplant the Soul. Walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah, A monkey's head, a pope's neuroscientist, and a quest to transplant the soul. Oh, walk, and as you walk in, because Cliff is Jewish and so we can do this, and as <laughs> you walk into a bar. Right. We can now make, with you here, Brandy, we can make Italian, Jewish, Greek, and gay. Gay with me. Yeah, John's, John's a double.
1: Oh, double hit.
0: Yeah, we get to exactly.
1: In any case, thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be on.
0: Well, it's our pleasure to you have know, you You've like
1: got very NPR voice too. I've noticed. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I do I feel have like my NPR.
2: <laughs> no, but it's good because now I feel like I've got to talk more slowly and maturely because that's how she talks.
0: Don, you oh. can't be mature. Don't even try it.
2: I'm serious. It's it's wonderfully it's it's wonderful
0: professional radio voice actually. That's me. Beautiful. For what it's worth. That's <laughs> why you've been so successful. And so that's the transition of how we get to talking about uh, a monkey's head. Um, Yes. So you're, I mean, let's just just tell people, so you're, you're, you're you're, you're, as a historian, you concentrate on medical history, um, which is sort of relevant right now. I feel like there's things going on. I mean, we'll be serious about this, obviously with COVID and everything else, Mm -hmm. how we're handling stuff. And so I'd love to get to that in a little bit and ask you about it, but let's start with um, your book.
1: Tell us about it. Sure. So. It, it is a peculiar story, and I realize the title, um, it, it it says a few things, doesn't it? Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher. But the reason the title is called that is because the neurosurgeon, who is also a neuroscientist, who I focused on, had two nicknames. He gave himself the nickname Mr. Humble, and some of that was a bit tongue-in-cheek. But he was a um, a, a surgeon. He saved children's lives. He operated on many, many different people's brains. He was a devout Catholic. He was a family man, and he also took heads off of monkeys and swapped <laughs> one <laughs> monkey's head onto another monkey's body. We all need um, a hop. You know, <laughs> um, you know, that tends to that tends to upset people sometimes, and uh, the uh, particularly among animal I should, rights. I should laugh. I was just gonna say I shouldn't laugh because it sounds kind of awful yeah, for the Peter monkeys. to boycott me. us now. No, it's it, it's peculiar because you yeah. know when he first started working. Oh. This goes all the way back into the fifties. There weren't the kind of protections for animals that we have now. And so when he starts doing these experiments, originally, you don't have a lot of people upset. But by the oh. time these surgeries are successful, you do have animal rights activist groups yeah. calling him Dr. Butcher and saying, how can you perform these macabre experiments and, and why would you want to? But he did oh, have I think reasons interesting for doing ex- it, though.
2: It's funny. I was just saying, I think they're interesting experience experiments. I just feel awful doing that to a monkey. Like any sentient being I've gotten, even though I'm a meat eater, the older I get, the, cre- the more creeped out I mm-hmm. get from all the science I read about, you know, yep. pigs are apparently mm-hmm. better pets than dogs. I was like, Oh God, no,
0: no, I can't eat. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, is that, you know, it's, I love animals. I think you do too, John. We've, yeah. got a, we've got more cats than we know what to do with in our house. Um, but if you... You know, with history, especially, um, you know, I studied history. I didn't, I didn't do the the dissertation as you did, Brandy. So that's what left me behind. Um, but I mean, you know, you have to learn to kind of find interest in some of these things and laugh at things that, if they happened right now, you probably would find awful, or you would find awful right. because history otherwise don't study history. <laughs> it's, well it's
1: and impossible. I think in, in many of our, you know, our excel. <laughs> our Excel's Excel's dog, in, in, that would be my dog. We're I'm gonna turn her off for a second. Oh <laughs> perfect,
2: perfect
0: timing. Sorry Brandy, go ahead.
1: No, no problem. I was gonna say that um so many of our medical successes have come partly through animal experimentation. And what tends to happen is we like the results, but we don't want to know about the methods. And and this book was also a way of opening that window and saying what if you had to look at exactly how science gets done? Would you yeah, feel the yeah, same yeah, way about yeah. it? And so um, I ended up interviewing Ingrid Newkirk, who founded PETA for this uh, book and getting her side of the story too, because it's really fascinating to see how you have uh, different people kind of compartmentalizing different things. And of course, this was all happening during the civil rights movement. This is the the Cold War. It's going into the 60s. And you have lots of people making connections and saying, animal rights and civil rights ought to be lifted together um, for lots of reasons. So it, 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 it's a very murky, you know, the ethics were complicated um, and they were complicated. Yeah. I mean, this is a political show and I have to say, I, I, I've waded through politics in this book a lot because how science gets done is not a political.
0: Well, we know that today. I mean, you know, yeah. Everyone well, Dr. Fauci must resign because, you know, yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't like to put a mask on. Mm-hmm. freedom or something i mean no i mean I, john and i were talking about it ahead of time because i read your wired interview i have your book but i'm planning we've got a spring break coming up for my kids and it's my plan to read it then thank you for sending me a copy by the way um but you can't go through any of this so looking through your wired interview i mean you know the 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 various issues come up civil rights right people were worried about what this meant for black bodies and black brains versus white bodies and white brains and mm-hmm. I, I, so you know identity comes up Right. Issues of, of people, tra- men transitioning to become women and vice versa. And, you know, the Cold War comes up. I mean, I'm in the middle of John was one of the people convinced me to watch. And I will forever thank him. The Americans, oh, yeah. which by the way, is for what's going on in our country right now, I think is much must watch. But it reminds you because you go back and you're like, oh, my God. I mean, I was a, you know, when this stuff was going on, I was a kid. Right. Seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Um, but you're seeing the stuff with Reagan, you know, like we must, you know, the when you see missile defense and all these things, and it just it doesn't matter anymore whether it works or whatever. It's just whether who, whether the Russians win or we win. Who's the first to do it, right? And so, right. All, let me kick it to you after bringing up all those various things. So there's politics and all this stuff, right? I mean,
1: there is, and and it's a real driving force in the book because I I assume that our re- your listeners and readers and and such will know that most people are not going to simply be okay with you doing a head transplant on anyone or anything. Most well, people you- are not going to sign up yeah. for that. And yet uh, funding was available because in the Cold War, we were in a race scientifically with the Soviet Union. And some of this comes about because the Soviet Union released a video that they had created a surgically two-headed dog that lived. Yeah. And yeah. right, um, they they actually transplanted the head and four paws of one dog onto the larger body of a larger dog and created a two headed animal that they named Cerberus. Um, oh, of,
2: yeah. <laughs> it like the as you would. <laughs> I <know. laughs>
1: um, But essentially, they released this footage. And, you know, why Dr. White, who is the neurosurgeon we're talking about here, he had come up at the Peter Bent Brickham under Joseph Murray, who performed the first successful kidney transplant on the twins, on the Herrick twins. Mm. And so he, had, he was immersed in this idea that you could transplant organs for the first time. Was, that was brand new back then. Um, and then you see this idea that, oh, my gosh, you could move a head onto a different body. And he thought to himself, well, what if you transplanted all the organs at one time? And essentially... Almost a full body transplant, you just move the body over to the head, the ailing head. Right. And this becomes something that he's so deeply invested and immersed in, even though it's not the principle I wouldn't say it's necessarily his legacy, but it's something that he chases through most of his life, ultimately, in 1971, performs the first successful head transplant on a monkey on a, a primate.
2: Wow oh, wait you so, wait, so they're up. actually <laughs> wait, wait we, sorry, I got interrupt, but we we people did head transplants on monkeys that worked. Oh,
0: yes, yeah. so in actually, I like, from this, one. I'm like, it's incredible. I had no idea. I had, <laughs> no, had no idea that actually worked.
1: Yeah, well, um, worked is a, uh, let's complicate oh. that word a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's 1971. And again, funding for this research is partly, at least I will say Dr. White himself felt this was true as well, um, was driven by the fact that the US government was giving funding to scientific research into transplant science and other things because we were racing against the Soviet Union. Right. So he has this um, this money to do brain isolation experiments. So that was the first step and that was proving that the brain can live outside the body um okay. Okay. which is a very strange idea because the brain's uh the brain needs lots of oxygen to right. keep going right. but that's kind of mostly all it needs so as long as you kept the blood o- the oxygenated blood going to the brain yeah you could technically take it out yeah and it could still be alive and so through a very series of complicated surgeries he you know had electrodes proving that these isolated brains outside of their bodies could still think But people wanted proof that this was so. So that's why in 1971, he took the entire head, um, monkey A, monkey B. So head A going on body B and uh, body B losing its head. (laughs) And then um, putting the two together, waking the monkey up and showing, look, it can still move its eyes. It's still aware. Obviously, it's paralyzed because you've severed severed the spinal cord. But it's awake and it's alive and it, it lived for about nine days. Wow. Um, was the did world going to be Futurama
0: at some point? like head exploding
1: and... <laughs> Sorry,
2: go ahead. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. So it lived in like the jar or
1: it lived transplanted back into the monkey? Um, the brain was still in the head that it started in, but they had moved the entire head over onto the, a different body. Huh. But it didn't wake up, I'm assuming. No, it did. No, it did. It woke up. Yeah, woke it was up, very, very angry. And...
0: Yeah, she was Ooh. saying it couldn't,
1: because the spinal cord was severed, nothing Ooh. below the head could Ooh. move. Ooh, it <laughs> was... It was a very unhappy monkey, Um, and it it never liked Doctor White to start with, as I understand it. But it it was—it tried to bite people. It was really upset when it woke up, as you would be, and confused. I'm sure. Yeah, I
0: mean, I guess if you're a monkey in general, you probably didn't like Doctor White.
1: No, well, you know, I will say that um, that you know he was following all of the appropriate protocols. It's just that protocols have changed a lot since 1971. (laughs) So at the time, he was doing everything, you know, exactly legally for the care of the monkeys which today there's much more involved there's there's much greater rights and and permissions and care uh the way you treat primates and other research animals is quite different now than it was then actually right. partly because of the animal rights movement
0: well i mean you know um, we're talking 1971 we're only talking you know 7 years after african americans are guaranteed the right to vote so i mean exactly I mean, yes, yes. I mean, if we're and talking and about were how politics has changed
1: there was a lot of parallels made actually um between these two things and people who were working for animal rights often referred to that and said you know who gets to decide what a sentient being is who gets to decide who has rights so that was a a big part of this as well Hmm.
0: and that's probably around the time they're making planet of the apes any tie-in um no i don't think there was any (laughs) tie-in well no that's kind of interesting though
2: because i mean you're right though the the Actually, those movies had to be kind of considered political. You'd think at the time, Although, they were. all the anti-evolutionary types would be pissed.
0: Well, also the movies at the time were supposed to you be know? about civil rights. Today, they would be very uncomfortable because oh, stand in for who? Yeah, because they're saying that why or why yeah. are one group of primates treated as like slaves to another group. I mean, it very much was supposed to have a civil
1: rights. Gentlemen, um, someone's actually ringing on my doorbell. Should oh. I? Um... You can go check if you have to. Can I do yeah. that? We'll it talk as we'll a relaxed podcast. I'm so sorry.
2: I will be right back. Eh, sorry. Sure. You know, I mean, what's interesting with that cliff too, though, with the civil yeah. rights thing is, think of today. You decided to make a civil rights movie about how dark apes are the next thing that was when like, when dude. civil rights often considered yeah. – the, the, the paragon of civil rights is often considered uh, uh, people of color or black.
0: Like, ooh. No, no. that was was point. like today. That I, thought, I, I thought that's where you were going, and, yeah. And bad, whereas back yeah. then they were. It was meant in a good way, but now we're we're. 50 that would be very great. controversial. Yeah, correct. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, you're standing yeah. right. I mean, it's but it's not-,
2: not though, because I think animal rights. Absolutely, I'm, I'm sympathetic. It's it's uh, it's. Well, I am
0: too, and yeah. I love animals. That's I,
1: embarrassing. I, Sorry, guys. Oh,
0: hello. Anything? You get Hi. anything good? <laughs> or no?
1: Well, it was actually, <laughs> I did some filming with Inside Edition yesterday, and they oh. were coming for their camera.
0: I, sh- <laughs> we got doorbells ringing we got dogs that's our podcast guys where...
1: yeah well you know what that is this is a this is the gritty reality of covid world isn't it
0: it is and, and we had to change our time to tape today because you know the gritty reality of COVID picking also up. Yeah. picking up kids from school and weird things going oh on my oh my god sasha has, has not been this bad in a long time <laughs> well so- i fed the
1: chickens before we got started so they should be quiet
0: oh so you actually do have chickens i really do have chickens oh cute uh-huh. So you, do you live in Cleveland? Because you know, I've I been do. there and I can't imagine where in Cleveland. Chickens in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. I have I have urban chickens. Urban
2: chickens. There you go. All right, that's kind of cool. They, they, yeah, they we're, smoke we're... and do drugs and stuff, or what's their <laughs> oh, urban god. chickens? They're tough. Be careful with them. <laughs> they wear leather jackets. And... <laughs> yeah,
0: like, oh god, it's the urban chickens cross the street. Actually, Brandon yeah. and I are Ohioans. <laughs> so we're just at the opposite ends of the state. But we that's are true. Both... we're in, in two of the three large C's as they call them.
1: Well, you know, this entire story about the head transplant took place in Cleveland. And when I tell people that, everyone sort of goes, uh, oh, yeah, that, okay. Cleveland. <laughs> right. Cleveland, yeah. Of course. Stuff like that happens in Cleveland, you know what I mean? I mean? I I love Cleveland. It is a strange place. Um, Some of the, there's really remarkable medical stuff here, obviously, because we have the Cleveland Clinic and we have all these yep. other metro and university right. hospitals and Case Western. And it's partly as a result of that, that you have all this I mean, it's been a medical town almost since its founding. So you do have this really rich history of things that were invented here that people are just don't know started here. The defibrillator, for instance.
0: Right. Okay. Yep. No, I mean, it's fascinating. I think you have to, it, it took my moving out. I grew up on the East Coast as I think listeners know, and it took my moving out to the Midwest to kind of realize that some of these cities, you know, that that uh, were so important, particularly historically. Cincinnati falls into that too when I find out, you know, it's like the first baseball team was here, you know, and the right. freedom trail for, for escaping uh, slaves was here, you know, and all these things like that. You don't learn about that. And, you know, I would throw Pittsburgh in there and St. Louis mm-hmm. and Minneapolis. So there's fascinating history yeah. still.
1: I think people tend to think of places like Chicago, but in fact, um, Elliot Ness is buried in Cleveland. This is where he spent oh, wow. the last part of his career. Um, we were once the fifth largest city in the country, with more millionaires per capita than New York. So um, it's a, it's peculiar to see these. It's not so much that we shrank; it's that everything else outgrew us. We yep. stayed the same. That's what happened here
0: too. The railroad went to Chicago instead. So, so um, can I can I hijack this conversation?
2: Yeah. to Ohioans back to head transplants? Because oh, sure. Um, <laughs> Well, you no, because Clifton Clif- sold, Clif- sold me on this episode. It's like, it's not about politics, but it's cool. <laughs> I want to get into the ethical discussion on what happens. I don't know if you say what happens to your soul or whatever. Even animals, mm-hmm. I, I'm convinced animals have souls too. Or whatever. Soul meaning there's some, there's some identity inside there. Having mm-hmm. a dog,
0: forget it, clearly. Um, and if you've so, had more than one, have you, John? Have you had a dog in the past? Yeah, when I was kids. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, if you've had different animals, maybe even your chickens, what's call for this, right? like yeah. my cats are all different. They like different like, things. They react to different. Like they have personalities. And they're have like different they're kids, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, but so so,
2: what's the ethical discussion? Not even the ethical. What's the the, the debate around mm-hmm. you transplant a head of one person onto another? Am I the same person?
1: That is that's really a, one of the big questions I set to answer in the book because for Dr. White, who is Catholic transplanting the brain was transplanting dr. Butcher the or soul no? um well <laughs> he 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 certainly was able to compartmentalize many of his no, no no i
2: mean is this the same guy they were calling it out? is yes oh
1: it is yes That's sorry what I yes okay. yes yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, he was i i intentionally kind of set it up as a jekyll and hyde story but not yeah. not because i'm i'm against or or upset at dr white it's just we're all con- composite creatures and we have these competing desires that are compartmentalized in different ways right. and isn't that sort of partly what he was doing in a way is saying okay where's you where do you yeah. live in this self that you yeah. are and for dr white it was the brain and your soul was there and that's that's where it was is not so that obvious him, or not um well there's almost as many neurons in your gut you know uh and if you think about people um look at lgbt issues right Mm -hmm. that embodiment is really important to who you are as an identity what you look like and and you know what gender you are all sorts of things is very powerfully involved in our shaping of identity but not for dr white he saw it much Mm -hmm. more cut and dry than that he really thought your brain walking around on some legs the legs don't matter that much i'm still with him um, Prove us wrong. A, well, it's, it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's going to be complicated, right? Because yeah. if you take that head and you put it on another body, first of all, you can't move that body because if you sever the spinal cord at this point in time, we can't right. actually reattach them. Gotcha. Okay. Now, they're doing work to jump over the spinal cord. Another one um, that I believe Case Western is involved in and the VA center is BrainGate. And that's something that they're working on to see if they can sort of directly have the brain talk to muscles, you know, electronically rather than using the spinal cord as the superhighway. Hmm. So it's not that we're completely unable to imagine a future, but at the moment, if I sever your spinal cord, you're, you're kind of done with moving the lower half of your body. Right. Not that that makes your life any less important or valuable, but it does make it different. So if you start off as somebody who can move all of your limbs and you, decide to have a head transplant your life's going to be very different afterwards not only are you not going to have your body but you're not going to be able to move it in the same way and now a word from our sponsors we are so grateful
2: that vaccinations for COVID are underway, but the pandemic is still here and it's going to be here a lot longer folks. We are going to need those respirator face masks to provide real protection from transmission. Unfortunately the huge demand and limited supply of respirator masks means we're flooded with face and counterfeits that do almost nothing. Right now the newdealshop.com has FDA authorized KN95 respirator masks with anti-fraud labeling on every single package that can be verified right on the manufacturer's website. They're tested in the U.S. but the NPPTL and provide the most significant level of protection. These respirator masks are in stock in the U.S. and ship immediately for free. Go to thenewdealshop.com now. Get verified, authenticated, FDA-authorized KN95 masks shipped immediately to your home or business. That's thenewdealshop.com,
0: thenewdealshop.com. If something's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, consider our sponsor, BetterHelp. H-E-L-P, that's BetterHelp, which seeks to provide you with professional help with ease. It's not a crisis line. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist. Start communicating in under 48 hours, connecting us in a safe, private, online environment. Send a message to your counselor and receive a timely response. Schedule weekly, video, or phone sessions, whatever works for you. Anything you share is, of course, confidential. If you want to try a new therapist, it's simple and free to switch. BetterHelp says they are more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Start living a happier life today. You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com slash SexyLiberal. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Go to BetterHelp.com slash SexyLiberal and receive 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash SexyLiberal.
2: And now back to our show. Okay, but again, I'm going to keep Devils advocating you on this because you, I love this. Um, same thing happens, though, if I get into a car accident and I'm uh, quadriplegic below the neck. I'm the exact same person as the guy that had the head transplanted. can't move his arms and legs. But I'm um, still to me. To a degree. Uh, that's, I mean, and sure, that's my, actually... my, right? my life has changed, but you can't say, well, that's not actually John
1: Erevosis anymore. His identity well, that's, has changed. That was no. the argument of uh, Craig Vitovitz. So mm-hmm. Dr. White actually had a human subject who volunteered Mm. to be the first human head transplant no he did and his name was craig vitovitz craig vitovitz was already paralyzed from a diving accident when he was a teenager okay um and for him he he was very much he felt that it was an ableist argument to say that a head transplant wasn't worth doing because you'd be paralyzed because to him he's like i i am paralyzed and i'm married i have kids i have my own business i have a life right my life is worth exactly the same as everyone else's life so that was the argument used to try and get the human head transplant I to forward. Before, Randy,
0: Why was he willing to take that risk, though, if he enjoyed it's his life good. so much and yeah. all of this stuff? And he had the kids. Sadly. And,
1: uh... Yeah. Well, very sadly, many people who suffer paralysis more than than now, it's gotten better. Their organs begin to shut down after a certain amount of time. Okay. So oh, really? Vitovitz's kidneys were starting to fail. Huh. And he was having huh. problems with other organs. And the problem there, so going back to this concept of organ transplant, is there's a lot of people waiting on organ transplant lists, and there are sort of parameters, right? And there are people they consider to be good donors, or not good, good recipients, Recipients, and people they consider to be high-risk recipients. So it's much more difficult, not impossible, but it's more difficult for a paralyzed person to get sort of equitable access to organ transplants and than back it is for then, someone even, else.
2: Back then, even back then so,
1: especially, right. it's easy. Yeah. It's, easier. it's
0: yeah. better now, but
1: yeah. Now they weren't allowed to go through with it. Partly the funding wasn't there. So again, going back to the political issue, this is after the cold war, right? There's no one we're racing against. There's no one we're proving science to. There's okay. no one at this point in time, this is the 90s, that we're saying, aha, this will bring us fame and glory on the world stage. It'll show everybody that our ideology is best, which was part of how science got done during the Cold War. Right. That's not there anymore. And they just can't get the funding to get it going. It's a very expensive surgery because of all of the things that are involved. It's a complicated surgery. Remember, you can't let the brain lose any blood. So it's a careful unplumbing. And here's the kind of more, um, I think this gets left out a lot when people think about this, if you think about it, <laughs> you have to have a donor body. Right.
0: But you the do? donor right. body
1: has to be living.
0: Right. Because oh, <laughs> how long are you keeping a body? I don't know how long before it starts to, you know.
1: It has. Yeah. Cheery. Basically, the heart still has to be beating. It still has to be respirating, even if artificially, for you well, to use it. Okay. But that's,
2: I mean, again, you aren't going to have a lot of these, but that happens while uh, people brain dead. Right. I mean, that's right. people, well, who, you- people who give, uh, who donate organs when they're brain dead. Right. So one.
1: so let me ask you a really fun question. Yeah. What's the medical definition of brain death?
2: I, 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 I mean, I know there is one, I thought. But no, there I'm, isn't. <laughs> is there
1: so this is what's fascinating. There's not a perfectly. Um, now, there, yes, there are definitions, Right. there's I not a single
0: accepted definition, definition of brain dead was Ted Cruz, but I guess I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I had to. I <laughs> <we> had to.
1: <laughs> no, this is what I found out was so interesting mm-hmm. in the book. And I, I actually contacted several neuroscientists of my acquaintance to say, mm-hmm. is this right? But apparently <laughs> um, we have a legal definition right. of brain death. We don't actually have an agreed upon by all medical practitioners, <laughs> medical <laughs> definition and so that means it's different based on what state you're in it's different based on what country you're in wow so deciding whether you can take the organs of a body gets to be really complex
2: you know what I've, i've got to jump in on this one without getting into too much family detail but we had something like that happen in the family a while back where the doctor and i was sort of the designated guy because i was the only one not falling apart and i was like you know I was the smart son <laughs> in the family. It wasn't, it wasn't my dad, but I'm just saying I'm like the smart kid in the family. So I pulled the doctor aside and was like, okay, what do you mean? And he, he was like, well, there's bottom line is he was trying to explain brain activity. There isn't any brain, but there is some, we saw a blip, but it was a couple of days ago. And normally you wouldn't see the blip. And I said, okay, is that like the autonomic system? He goes, oh yeah. How do you know that? I'm like, well, I read, I'm not like, I mean, I have heard of that. But he was trying to describe that basically in the base of the brain, there was a, there's always possibly some activity that keeps the body going, but, but there was a spike of the other activity, but it shouldn't have been there. And it was just a blip a couple of days ago. And I'm kind of going, okay, you're asking me to decide for the family to pull a plug and you're giving
1: me a really vague answer. Right. And it, cause it is that complicated. You know, you know, Dr. White actually once said that it's it, he doesn't know why we call space the final frontier. You know, <laughs> to him the brain was brain, the final yeah. frontier. There's still so much we don't know about how it operates. Yeah. So so there that is a big it's a really good question because let's say so let's assume um Craig Vitovitz's surgery had gone forward, they would have had to have someone who had agreed to be an organ donor. No one uh there are tick boxes, you know, but there's not a tick box that says yes, you can take my whole body. So you can't pre-arrange for this, but if there's a body, uh, uh, an organ donor who is brain dead because of an accident and seems like a good fit, in theory, yes, they could technically have used that body. However, that body also could have saved a cardiac patient and a lung patient and a liver patient. Oh, true, And and they're in short supply. So, yeah. So do you give this one body to one person or do you save five lives with it And the bigger question, who who decides whose lives are worth what? I mean, you get into really tricky territory.
2: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, Um, That's a
0: tough
1: I want
2: to go back to brain identity though, because I'm with you on all of this. And these are ethical questions, but did you so in the book, did you get into the question of if my brain gets put on another body, am I still me in terms of my own consciousness?
1: You know, some of those questions probably can't be answered until it happens. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but I will say that to Dr. White felt, abs- I will give you Dr. White's answer. Yes, you'll absolutely be you. According to Dr. White, no problem. That's your brain, your soul, yourself, your personality. Right. You'll be you. No problems at all. That monkey was the same monkey in his mind. But this also gets him backed into a corner he didn't intend to go in. Hmm. He was Catholic, but he did not think animals had souls. And he debated frequently and loudly hmm. about how it was perfectly permissible to do all of these experiments on animals because animals don't have souls. But when he succeeded in doing the first monkey right. head transplant, he slipped and said, "Oh, it's it now it's proof that we can transplant the soul." And a savvy oh. animal rights activist, activist basically said, "So you're saying okay. monkeys do have souls?" And then it was a whole you know debate yeah. around that. But to him, I mean, I think he he differentiated between what he called the animating principle and the actual human soul in ways that I don't completely understand. I did do quite a bit of research. I spoke to some Catholic priests to try and get a sense of this. It seems basically he was following a pretty Catholic understanding of the soul, except in places where it made it hard to do his job <laughs>
0: What's interesting
1: about this is when i was going to ask you that
0: because again and i'm not catholic but my understanding has always been if you're a devout catholic you know the, the belief is supposed to be that you're made in god's image right i mean mm-hmm. that's my understanding i would think then that that you are you know it's the same sort of reasoning behind uh, you know their disbelief in sort of right to die legislation and and these kinds of things that in a way you're you're artificially i guess all medicine does that to a certain degree, but you're you know when you're at the point where the body can no longer function and the head is going to die, I suppose moving ahead to another body seems to me to not be wouldn't be with Catholic teaching, but I guess. I don't know.
2: Well, it may be more Jehovah's Witness and some of that that you get more of those problems. You know, if mm-hmm. if it's simply the it's God's will and you're interfering, I think. I mean, I'm Greek Orthodox. We're close to Catholic. But we're not nearly as ornery, but um, <laughs> but but we we you're don't pretty, pretty into, ornery. Donna, we're pre- I'm pretty ornery, but we don't sort of get into that kind of stuff. The, the medical stuff never comes in as far as like, oh, it's God's will. No, that 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 shit never happens. Not for us. But 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 it clearly. Jehovah's are the only ones I can think of, but there's—I uh, don't know if Quakers have some of those issues too. Perhaps the
1: well, Amish, there's still there's still a know. lot of you know religion does play a big role in what gets accepted. Yeah. Scientifically. Oh, I mean head um, transplants, you know. forget
2: it. I'm sure the Catholics would flip out a head transplant.
1: Well, so funny story about that. Now, what Dr. did they Dr. White, say? Yeah, the reason I said the reason part of the subtitle says the Pope's neuroscientist is because. Dr. White was actually friends with Pope Paul VI and later Pope John Paul II, and was an advisor for Pope John Paul II. And he asked both popes about this. Essentially, oh, really, yeah. Um, he he wanted to, he didn't get what I would call a straight answer, really, but he was asking them, you know, hey, don't you think that really brain waves are life, and therefore, if there's no brain activity there's no life. And if there is brain activity, then it's absolutely my job and God's will that I save that right. life is in any way possible. Oh, and the, the answer Pope Paul VI gave him, I think it was Pope Paul VI mm. was, that's really not for the church. Like, you need to figure right. that out and, and help us understand it. You know, you're the doctor, wow. you're supposed to help us figure that out. I don't know exactly. I don't have verbatim. It sounds the, almost pro-choice in a way. I, like I said, all I have yeah. is Dr. We, White's yeah. interpretation of what the okay. Pope said. Okay. And uh, for Dr. White, he felt, okay, it's been put back on us. So I'll yeah. make the decision. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He felt yeah. that the, the Catholic father had basically given doctors the right to make some of those decisions. And I thought that was very interesting. I have no idea if that's actually what the Pope right. meant, but it's certainly what Dr. White took away from those conversations. Oh. And so for him, he felt he was doing God's will right. in doing any means necessary to save the living human brain. Okay. I'm still confused it's- though.
2: I, I want to go back to what I asked you. I, I feel like we sort of beat around the bush here. Are, are you saying that if head transplants become a thing we can do with humans, that if my head gets put on another body, I am not going to wake up with the same everything going on. in? I mean, I might be screwed up, Right. I mean, I'm gay and all of a sudden I'm in a woman's body. I mean, yeah, that's going to mess me up. Uh, fair, uh, fair enough, because I'm used to being a guy, but but I'm still the same person. I'm just a person who now has had some kind of a traumatic shock. Right. But, but are you saying that you don't necessarily agree that I would wake up as the exact
1: same guy, assuming there's no brain damage or anything from the surgery? Oh, no, I agree that you would still be, you know, well, assuming consciousness can be transferred, which we can't prove exactly, but assuming it gets transferred when your brain wakes up, yeah, I think for the most part oh, you will okay. still okay. know who you are. My point is simply um, in as much as our bodies do help us fabricate our identities or shape our identities. Yeah. Um, you're not, you know, that it matters more cool. than what I think Dr. White says. And I, I'm partly yeah. I'm speaking uh, thinking of the yeah. trans community because, you know, it's very important to them to have transition yes. surgeries as they're affirming because bodies yes. and minds and identities go together in ways that Dr. White probably wasn't uh, investigating.
2: (laughs) Think of, but think of, I was even thinking, you know, thyroid. For a while there, I thought maybe I had some thyroid issues because a lot of the women in my family do. And, you know, in principle, I don't according to the tests, but boy, I've got a lot of the symptoms and, Mm -hmm. and the symptoms absolutely can be personality related. (laughs) And, you know, if you cut the head at just the right point, you're not bringing the thyroid with, you know, know or- so in other words, you could take someone as calm as you and put it on a body like mine, and you could become just as hyper as I am to a degree, potentially. <laughs> no, but I mean I mean arguably do it, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm I'm lobbying here. No, but but I mean, so you do get into sort of interesting personality changes and things like that potentially. Actually, one question for you. Why don't identical twins have the same soul?
1: Right, because of course, uh, and I'm gonna give you again dr white's answer the
2: church. forget the church i want <laughs> to i mean a, i want a scientific he, answer
1: because oh well there is no real scientific exact right? answer literally for the exact yeah. same
2: thing is going on why wouldn't it produce the same identity
1: mm-hmm. because it, and this is this is why i think um white's point or maybe it has that for, for white every single human being it gets insolment right this idea that you all have a soul that's implanted right now not everybody's catholic not everybody's even, uh, you know, there's plenty of atheists out there who still believe that they have a personality that is unique yeah. to themselves, yeah. but they don't believe in a soul. And so most of us can agree, I think, that there is some principle that makes us us and that it's a combination probably of nature and nurture and what we're born yeah. with and who we are. Yeah. But I would say very few, I, I don't actually know of any world faiths out there that don't think that there's some personality that's uniquely yours. Um So we all believe that's there. And it's not unreasonable to think that most of it lives in your brain. Um, But then exactly which part of your brain is a whole other thing. Because you remember, White was a neurosurgeon. So he performed lots of surgeries where he had to take Hmm. out people's brains. He worked at a trauma hospital. People would come after having horrible car accidents or motorcycle accidents, would lose half their brain. And so it begins to be this question of... Where are you in there and how much of it do you need to still be yourself? um, Was questions that were practical for Dr. White. He was answering them literally with a scalpel.
0: Right. It is fascinating because obviously so much of this, we all, there's debates over this. We all, you know, we have our beliefs. Is it more nurture? Is it more nature? I don't think anybody's fully figured that all that out. And then what changes if uh, you're suddenly a disembodied head or an embodied head in
1: a different body? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other point of this is, of course, no human head transplant was ever actually performed. Now, Dr. White isn't the only one who wanted to do one. Uh, 2016, I think, uh, Dr. Sergio Canavero wanted to perform one on a Russian patient who had a debilitating uh, sort of a wasting disease. And had promised it was going to happen in like 2017. Obviously it didn't, partly because his patient changed his mind, which he has a right to do. Um, yeah. But there's still lots of people who who still think possibly this might be something that goes on. But if you think about transplant surgery itself, there's so many failures before there's success. And so it's not something you can kind of just run into. I mean, the first heart transplant patients maybe lived for <laughs> days, maybe weeks, So again, you're trading on something that is endlessly complicated Mm -hmm. and it's still quite touchy. I mean, even today, uh, transplants, even though they're done quite regularly, don't always succeed to the same measures, right? So it's it's not an easy kind of situation to, it's not even easy to attain knowing you can do it on primates, but stranger is that we do technically have the technology should we use it.
0: We can make him better.
2: better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking <laughs> faster.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it. Oh wow. It is fascinating. Probably talking about it forever. But it is interesting. No, it's interesting anyway. Go on. Yeah. 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 Well, no, I feel like we should at some point. We've already kept you forty minutes, which and is great. Yeah. Um, if you're willing to stay a little bit longer. But I I'm also interested sort of in your thoughts in being a medical historian on your on on you know, what's gone on over the last year in terms mm-hmm. of COVID, if You had expectations that it would be handled better, worse, different, you know, I don't know, anything that comes, anything from your experience studying medical history and how we've handled all of this stuff.
1: Yeah. So I'm, so as the editor of the BMJ Medical Humanities Journal, what we look at is intersections of medicine, humanities, and social justice. So I'm, I'm keenly uh, aware and paying attention to the way things are being, um, handled and and i 've had a lot of disability activists on my show uh, on my podcast, including Alice Wong um, some other folks uh, and one of the things that I think has become really interesting and clear and yet also endlessly complicated and politically sometimes ignored is what does it mean to have access to anything because suddenly you know I know for years having i used to work in as a professor places and um Students who wanted better access to take classes online were often denied now all classes are online, or I want to deliver this paper, but I'm ill and can't go to the conference that's okay you can you can give it online that didn't used to be allowed right Health access has really changed. who gets to have the vaccine one of the interesting things is um, there's nothing wrong with the fact that we're doing it age related but you know, what about vulnerable populations? What about the disabled community? What about people with autoimmune disease? You know, they're not necessarily getting to be first. So the the accessibility issues were already there. We have systemic problems, but they have become center stage in a way that I don't think they were before COVID. So in both the successes and the many more failures in the rollout for trying to deal with COVID, I mean, let's face it, it was horrible for almost right. an entire year, but even in the places where it's been um, successful, I think it's shown it's shown a spotlight on the inequality, the lack of equity in healthcare, particularly in the United States. Um, elsewhere too, because I work a lot with the UK, and they're not immune to it. But I'm astonished not just by how devastated we have all been. Um, I wrote a book on grief and dying, and so I've also been paying attention to the way our lack of of abilities to grieve together has really mm. impacted our psychology about all of this. But to me, the the accessibility and realizing just how fraught this system is, how un, how, how inefficient um, it is, that when it was put to the test, and this is not the fault of the doctors or hospitals specifically, I'm just saying like the entire system that we kind of built it around um, is a consumer system. And it's it's not really set up to handle this kind of a uh, uh, extraordinary pandemic situation, and I think I hope it means we're going to be taking a hard look at it in the future, and maybe coming out better. You know, building back better in a really literal sense.
0: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I hope so too. Obviously, we have a intransigent force on the right that doesn't yeah. seem to want to believe in reality. I mean, and I'm not just talking just about cons- yeah. Well, and I'm not talking about conservatives, right? I'm not talking about conservatives or Republicans for that matter, though. This mentality has taken over a large chunk of their party. It's the it's the children I'm talking about, you know, the ones who say, "No, no, no, I don't have to do it because I don't want to. I don't have to wear a mask," you know, who act like angry teenagers, which is, seems to. I mean, that's my concern. Otherwise, I, I would be very confident we could build back better. And and I do think Joe Biden is doing a great job. And I do think you know there are Republicans, or at least you know in some sense, are trying to do something. Um, not most of them, sadly. Okay. Well. How about this um I'm, here's what i'm fascinated by too and then if you have other questions john go for it mm-hmm. but this one really fascinates me which is studying history i you know what what i you know what i always see is obviously world events and after anything you know this a huge kind of trauma there are just there are changes right society mm-hmm. changes in ways that we couldn't have predicted and that You know, change the course of history. You know, I'm thinking of the Depression. I'm thinking of World War Two and World War One, obviously more in the United States, 9-11. Do you think after this, I mean, maybe the thing to look back at is the Spanish flu or I don't know if that's not PC to say anymore. Have we given it a different name now? Because it was a different different
2: name, but I don't remember.
1: I actually like to go all the way back to look at the Black Plague because um, most of us don't realize this, but so many of our rituals around death and dying actually Mm -hmm. inherit something from Mm -hmm. that earlier age, not because we're directly linking to it, but because things were so radically altered. Mm -hmm. Um, For one thing, there was a time when you had to have a priest right there for the death and to do last rites. And that was not possible during the black plague um, in, even in deeply Catholic territory, right. um, it just wasn't possible. There wasn't anyone around. And so they, um, the fact that we have begun to take over and sort of augment rituals away from that kind of leadership in, in my view, and this is a very oversimplified, um medievalists can, can do a much better job with this. But uh, in my view, you know, we inherit changes and then we build on those changes until they're unrecognizable. But we wouldn't be who we are today if not for changes that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so I think we incorporate the changes, but it's not always immediate. And sometimes it goes uh, like underground kind of. If you think about it, I saw a child, a two-year-old with a mask on. And I thought, this isn't even weird to that child. Like to that child, that's just what this world is like. So, you know, it's changes are coming simply because you've made a stamp and, you know, you have to build around it or fall down around it, really. So I I absolutely think so. I think changes are coming. Whether they're good or bad is going to depend, I think, on whose voices get heard. So, you know, one of the things I try to do is amplify a lot of minority voices. Um, disability, people disabled, uh, racial minorities, fiscal minorities, because if you don't, then the people who got you where you already are tend to be the ones who get to rebuild. And that's not necessarily effective. Right. Right.
0: No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think about it it really, I mean, it happened towards the beginning of the pandemic, but I had um, a um, cousin in a nursing home in New Jersey who was a lot older survived cancer i mean she thankfully i think i we could say had a really good life um but she died from covid and we of course attended the funeral via zoom mm-hmm. and, you know we had people calling into this funeral for, you know or zooming into this funeral from california utah mm-hmm. you know ohio new york new jersey florida um and you know the ritual used to be we all went to a funeral mm-hmm. right that's how we did it in person. And I wondered to myself, you know, is that going to just be something that's different now? Because often people can't, Mm. they can't, they can't get off from work, or they can't do whatever if they live across the country. And now is it going to be okay to just, you know, are we going to go to many more funerals, but not be there in person? Like, things like that are what, Mm -hmm. you know, I tend to think about. Well, and
1: we're all also going through a a huge collective grieving process for a life we thought we had. Um, So let me give you an example. We all sort of think, we can plan for tomorrow, don't we? And we kind of think, oh, I can make plans for next week, next month. Right. But we all actually live in a lot of precarity where yes. we don't know what's going to happen. So that illusion also got murdered in the course of this pandemic. And we're <laughs> we're mourning that. We're mourning the loss of an illusion of control over our destinies that people who are minorities don't always have. And so the other thing that, uh, that the disability folks have been saying to me is, you know, welcome to the world I live in, where I can't plan for tomorrow. Mm. So in a way, it's been a a, a strange leveler. And I think that we're grieving that we're also grieving, you know, my 20 year uh, wedding anniversary was was this year. And you have the thing you think you're going to do. And then the thing that actually happens. And so we're also grieving a lost year, not because we didn't do things, but because in our minds, a different year exists somewhere where those things happened. And so, you know, it's, it's complicated.
2: What's weird is um, I, and I didn't know this guy very well, but a friend had posted on Facebook about another guy we all used to hang out with in the, in the nineties in sort of the DC gay community, which, If you're gay, you sort of get that, like it was sort of sort of the beginnings of this real opening where we were all a really tight group. You know, we knew 30 or 40 people in town. I mean, it was just a it's a it's kind of hard to explain if you're not gay, but it's sort of being liberated. And all of a sudden you meet all these people. Anyway, this guy at the time who just died the other day, probably was just turned 50. And I looked at the guy's Facebook page just to look at it and. The last thing he wrote was from March, and I, I think it, when his death was a surprise, so I don't know what happened, but I, no one expected it. In March, he wrote a post about God, how much this sucks, not even be able to hug anybody. But you know, I'm just counting the days. You know, that's going to probably be the best thing after COVID is we can finally all hug and touch mm-hmm. again. And of course, then he died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's 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 obvious, but it's still. Uh, I had another friend who had recovered from cancer and was telling me about. And I remember not even knowing a long distance uh, online friend, basically, who I met through my blog, and was telling me all about oh, five year remission. I said I didn't even know you had cancer. Bah, 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 bah. That was the biggest concern of his life in his forties, was recovering from cancer, and a month later got killed in a car accident.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, well, I you think just social media makes you know, it all stranger because when you're talking about that, I've had that happen too. With when you look at, we've lost a few people which I think at our age, if you're in your 40s or 50s, you probably have at this point. Yeah. And, and you look at their last social media post where yeah. you know, there's no hint of this coming, like there isn't for any of us. And it yeah. kind mm-hmm. of you, you know, that anything can happen at any time. You
2: don't generally have an expect, you, or as, as you were saying, you have, an expect, you have an expectation. Even though you don't know what's coming, you don't really think,
1: yeah, I'm going to probably die next year, assuming mm-hmm. you don't have a terminal illness right? that you know of. Right. No, it's absolutely true. And you know, there's people. I'm I'm quite lucky. I actually got to visit with a friend of mine who has terminal cancer this week. But I hadn't seen her, and I was beginning to worry that we weren't going to be able to do that. Um, and that, that has happened to all kinds of people who've lost people during COVID that they couldn't get to because they were quarantined, yeah, yeah. etc. But I think too, um, we like comfortable illusions. We like to think we can plan. It's comforting to think. I know what tomorrow's bringing. This is why we like the seasons, I think. You know, they're different every time, but they're also the same every time. And now we're looking out on a world that we can't predict. And this is true, not just because of the pandemic, but climate change and political upheaval. And I think it's showing some of us where our privileges Mm -hmm. really were, because only the privileged get to plan for tomorrow ever. So um, I think it's been a a real awakening for me. And I think as a historian, I'm looking back and going, we've been through this before. Each one of us, you know, our our, our histories culturally (laughs) have been through these things before. And yet we manage to recreate those illusions of safety and security each time. Sometimes it takes longer
2: vesuvius and pompeii i mean Mm -hmm. i mean it it, well but i mean not again i almost feel like it's facile to bring it up but it's not as if we all aren't brought up with tons of historical examples of i know you think you're immortal but (laughs) not Mm -hmm. only are you going to die in your 90s you might die in your 30s right (laughs) you know until
0: until it's real right until you lose somebody or you have a near yeah, I mean, I brought up nine eleven before and I've talked about it in the show before, you know. I mean, I saw the second plane hit with my own eyes, right? I was right there. Um, and had it been fifteen minutes later, I would have been in the area of the Twin Towers because I was working mm-hmm. election day, New York primary day, and I was had I was working uh, city council race downtown Manhattan. And and, you know, I'd been in the in the North Tower, literally to on the way to to a part of the of our district to deliver some some direct some mail like the day before, and I was like, yeah, I haven't been in the Twin Towers for a while. I'll take a walk through the North Tower, and this was right. twelve or whatever sixteen hours before mm-hmm. it was hit and disappeared. So I mean, you know, that that was one of those moments for me where I was like, Oh I, my god!
1: When know? I wrote uh, my one of my my previous books, Death Summer Coat, is actually that's the one about death and dying. And I, I had a line in there where after doing quite a bit of research on this, I realized there's a big difference between I'm going to die and I'm going to die now. Um, yeah. It's it's much easier for us as humans to accept the idea that mortality is a thing, but it's a very different thing to say, um, I'm dying on Tuesday, you know? Yeah. And I think when you have a near experience, you close to the Twin Towers, but it it misses you. It's like fate catching up and waving a little bit, like, hey. Um, and it just kind of reminds us.
0: Right. Yeah. No, it's true. Very, very, very true.
2: then um, you might die and get a monkey head.
1: <laughs> there's a book, actually. There's a short story about a woman who's – this is science fiction, science fiction story. Yeah. And I ran into, only after I wrote the book, and I think it's called Eve or something, and it's about a, a woman who – her personality is transplanted into a monkey after a car accident. And I thought – oh, I didn't know about this. <laughs> <And then> this, <laughs> this would have been a really interesting well, thing to put in the book.
0: All right, and I told you, um, what was the, I'm trying to, I have to look now, hold on one sec, I will tell you. Oh. But when you, I saw your book, I thought of this um, this book that I read, I, I can't help it it's going to partially ruin it for people, but I don't think everybody's out there reading, like, you know, suspense novels from the 1990s, but it was called The Day After Tomorrow by Alan Folsom. Mm-hmm you know, he's written a number of thrillers. And, you know, let's just say this one had to do with uh, Hitler's head. Oh, did know, it? Okay. I didn't know that. Whether, whether Hitler's head could find its way to another body and he could be reanimated. I mean, there's all these, you know, these things going on and you don't know. No, and, you know, and it's like any good novel, like there's stuff taking place in Europe and people are being killed and all this sort of stuff. I thought of that immediately. and I was like,
1: wow. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Maybe. Uh, well, you know, happened. I ended up interviewing Frank Spotnitz, the producer of X-Files for this book. And he actually, uh, he read an, and blurb hmm. the book for me um, because yeah, cool. he, cool. yeah well it's because when he was working on the second x-files movie he has researchers doing a bit of research for the plot and one of them came to him and said you know we might we might have a problem this this head transplant thing might have happened um, so they <laughs> got into a private jet and they flew to cleveland and they met dr white who had retired at that point to talk about this to be like how would this work, actually. And and Dr. White explained, you know, how he would perform a human head transplant. He had some nice diagrams that he showed. Um, they're actual diagrams. I've seen them. It's crazy <laughs> of humans. Like it looks like a Ken doll getting a new head. Anyway. Um, and Frank was just, he told me later, he says, it was so peculiar to have this grandfatherly gentle man telling me how to take a person's head off with such calm, you know, yeah. <laughs> assurance. <laughs>
2: You're and, like, oh, and... I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yes. <The first laughs> so knife.
1: It's right. it's fascinating. So I mean, even and and Spotlights was basically saying, you know, this is the what science fiction lets us explore. Because science fiction gets to look at, okay, let's assume this happened. What are the consequences? And real life, we don't usually get to preview that. We kind of have a tendency for our technology to outstrip our ability to predict consequences. Um, one of my favorite theorists—he's a theorist of accidents named Paul Virilio—and mm-hmm. he said that when we invent a train, we also invent the train accident. And he's right. right. So each time we make a new stride, we've technically invented its consequence, even though we don't know what it is yet.
0: Yeah, we create a new way to kill ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well i mean that's why you know and i know john's a big science fiction fan too i mean that's why i've always loved your star treks and star wars and other stars um but no various you know because i mean i mean so often it's predictive and you're like oh my god i mean it seemed absolutely wild you know do you remember watching like the the john you know and i don't know if you watched any of that stuff brandy that's why i'm talking to john but you know what (laughs) the old star treks and like you know Put them up on the screen, you know, and the faces up on the screen. Back when, like, you know, we were we, we didn't yeah. have mobile, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have whatever, like I'd sit there and go, for you for all you kids out there, or really anybody under the age of, I don't know, thirty-five, you may not remember. We actually had these things called rotary phones. And um, you know, and it's like now it's kind of miss the dial up sound. I know, it's kinda cool. Anyway, and now it's like, you know, I just push a button and if we want to, we could all be looking at each other doing this interview right now. you
2: know know what you you both got me thinking about the sci-fi thing there was an interesting at first it was kind of funny and then i thought about it and went oh yeah people some people got upset or well raised a concern i don't want to go all dr seuss on everybody although again the dr seuss thing was actually legit um but in the new wonder woman movie there's a plot twist and okay put your you know in other than other than our guests put your fingers in your ears if you haven't seen the movie but there's a plot twist where her boyfriend from 40 years ago or comes back and is enabled to inhabit the body of this man for three days just some random guy and it's great because wonder woman can have sex with her boyfriend for three days and they travel around the world and almost get killed and all sorts of things and somebody tweeted about it and said you know i mean isn't that kind of rapey? What about that dude? Yeah, my wife brought yeah. it up. She's like, what about the innocent guy who's bought it? Like, how, it's, how... Yeah. Well, Andrew, you're risking the life. But all of a sudden, I started thinking of, you know, what if I'm, like, married to somebody and, again, you we've just, been you just disappear for three days. Well, no, but we've been exclusive and, you know, and you I do I want Wonder Woman. I mean, you've screwed up the whole marriage. No, no I'm quite serious here, though. I, I like, mm-hmm. I've never been married or, you know, in, in such a long-term relationship, but would it be weird for my spouse's body to start having sex with somebody else because they got a brain transplant and they were, they were a donor. Did like, you know, it's I one thing to have, that. it's <laughs> one thing to have your, but getting Cliff, wait a second, let me just finish it. But it's one thing to sort of get into the issue of ethics of, right? Like I wouldn't think, okay, actually, and I'm being quite serious here. It's the difference between, yeah, if I had a heart transplant, I wouldn't think about it. A face transplant that starts to get a little weirder, yeah. right? You start to think. Even me myself, I'm thinking: well, Do I want my face out there? Maybe I do. But do I want my mom's face out there for me to run mm-hmm. into someday? And then, do I want my mom's body out there for me to run into someday? Forget the sex part since we're talking mom. But it's it, you get into really weird ethical things about just also family members and things. Like I normally don't have to worry about running into you know my brother's kidney or something.
1: Well, and I no? think that, come no, it's it's a really good question. It's a really good point. But the other thing that gets down to right, we were just saying are you just a brain or is your identity wrapped up in other parts of your body? And I think when you think about it that way, if I ran into, you know, I mean, this actually does come up with face transplant. There's some fascinating research being Mm -hmm. done on that. Granted faces look different if they're put on different different bone structure. structure. Exactly. But just let's assume it's going to happen at some point that a face transplant happens. And it's someone with very similar bone structure. Think of how that might feel for you if that's your child or, your spouse's face yeah. or something. And so, you know, we are more attached to our physical bits than I think we sometimes realize. Yeah. Um, and it hits us in uncanny ways. And so, you know, the, I, I think it's very easy to think about a brain existing by itself in a box somewhere. And that doesn't seem gross or upsetting. But when I was actually doing the research on how they cut away the living tissue from the brain of an animal right. that's still alive... Oh. That was hot. That was really upsetting, and I thought, yeah. "Oh, it's so much easier to just imagine the naked organ." But then, when you think about how you got there, um, yeah, there we have visceral reaction—literally visceral reactions—to yeah. the physical body.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what's funny too, and this and this may be just getting too much of a tangent, but I still think it's interesting. Thinking of friends of mine whose parents have died, and talking to the—and again, I'm Greek Orthodox, right? So you have to have a funeral. You don't get cremated. It has to be an open casket wake, but a closed casket funeral. The wake used to be two days for like five hours each, or it, it was crazy stuff. And talking to a friend about it and he was, and his mom died and he said, Oh no, we just, I mean, I we just donated her to Georgetown. You know, that's our family does that. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. medical." I said, did you have a wake? Or, like, what did you do about the funeral? We didn't have a funeral. I said, what about a wake? We don't do wakes. I mean, it's her body. It's not her. And to me, I remember a friend dying 30 years ago, 20 years ago now. And maybe it was the first close death because like my grandfather, I was like, fuck. But I remember going to the cemetery for the funeral and and then like maybe the day after. And it really – creeped me out because i felt like he was buried in the like he was buried in the ground it was almost as if he was alive and six feet under and i mean i was getting claustrophobic for him going oh my god it's it's hard to explain this but it's in other words what you started making me think of was i'm still attaching the soul to the body even though i know the soul is gone right the identity is gone it's clearly gone I mean, medically, it's, he's not just dead, but the organs have failed and everything else. But I'm still attaching a soul to that body, and I, it it creeps me out when I go to cemeteries because especially if it's too close to the death, I still kind of think the person's alive. I don't know why, but well, it, yeah, it gets into I, your point of of okay, maybe medically it's not, but I'm attaching the soul not to that spark of life. I'm attaching it to the physical form.
1: Right, right. We're giving, well, weird. and that's you know anthropomorphism is something humans tend to do with all kinds of things, right? Because things with a face um have yeah. a face <laughs> and, right. and we're really attached to that from the moment we're born
0: right
2: yeah it's just it's just i mean it's, it may not be relevant to this discussion but you got me thinking of again the nature of how we ascribe with whether it's faces bodies brains or whatever and you know it's a yeah I, anyway it's weird i and not to mention my god what if what if well like i said if you if you were to meet the person who got the brain transplant into your mom 's body or something or your brother 's body, and for you it 's not supposed to be that, in Star Trek actually, this would be a trill. Um, for those of you who watch Star Trek, but where basically <laughs> an uh, you know, alien organism, there's a symbiote goes into the body of another person, and they have both minds there. But that symbiote can live for thousands years, but it's had ten different hosts. Ten so different you're different remembering
0: you're the memories of the previous. You
2: get the right. memories of the previous, but literally that symbiote the same symbiote, but you are now carrying on a friendship with this person who changed bodies.
1: Yeah, you know that's <laughs> which, by the way, shifting it does a whole get you new. In.
2: But you know what? The, no, but it gets you into trans issues. It gets you into lots of other things.
0: Mm-hmm. So oh, I think degree, that's, why they, it's like that's why they did that. Is, yeah.
2: To what degree do you ascribe the soul to the body, mm-hmm. or to the visual body?
1: It's weird. I mean, how much we do that? Well, and our, our ability to process through grief is is made complicated. I mean, it's not as though animals don't understand death. They do. They don't necessarily like have uh, a lot of predictive thought about it. I don't think. I don't think my chickens actually sit around thinking about the fact that someday they'll die. Yeah. Um, I hope they don't actually, <laughs> but, but animals do understand, they understand what death is. I think one of the things that's peculiar about humans is we, we understand what death is. We know we're going to die and we have to walk around with that knowledge, but yeah. live a life. And, yeah. you know, it's, is it any wonder that I mean, I've i been to a, a number, many funerals. One of the things, so, I write a lot about death and dying and grief. Um, and this is partly because my family members die a lot. So um, from the time I was quite small, I was at many different funerals. I also lived near a cemetery. I, say, I um, saw you
0: right up there that you lived in an underground house near a underground cemetery. Underground house
1: near a cemetery. Right. <laughs> quiet, right. quiet neighbors. Um, but, you know, it, it, it makes sense to me that, you know, I tend to talk to inanimate objects with a face. So of course, I'm going to still feel like that 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 image of this person that i used to know is is there somehow and i think um and i i'm a person who who doesn't i don't discount the fact that there might be souls and that that you might go on and we don't know what happens and i'm all about that but we also don't know and part of the not knowing is also i think why it's difficult to let go sometimes
0: yeah no i I think that's exactly right what if we knew you could put your soul into a machine when you were, you know, you're going to die. Would people want to do that? I wonder. Yeah. I bet the, the computer, computer you know, are, just to I consciousness of some sort, but I don't know. It's weird. Well,
1: I think that's the value again, to get back to what Frank Spotnitz said, um, that's the value of science fiction is it, it allows us a playground to go explore those things. It's just that every once in a while, I find a story that's almost a strange stranger, maybe than fiction. Right. And, and this just happened to be one of them.
0: It ends up being true. And you've actually educated us because John and I are both people who I would think I can say like to read and all that. And I had, did not know there had been an actual successful head transplant.
1: Even
0: yeah, that creeps me out. An, right an animal. <laughs> an animal where, like, they opened yeah. its eyes and looked at somebody while attached to a different body. That mm-hmm. is, I would, I, if somebody said that to me, I would, have assumed, I would have been 100% sure that would have been science fiction.
1: That right, part. right. No, I know, I know. Um, when my when I first pitched this book to my editor, uh, and she took it forward, she said that every one of her colleagues kept saying, "But we don't do fiction." She's like, "No, no, it's not fiction." That's funny. That's incredible. <laughs>
0: that you know, funny about that. I just saw something that and I'm not trying to change the subject completely, but this is actually relevant to both discussions, which is, you know, apes, monkeys, that family of species, as well as uh, we talked. To, we were talking about COVID a little while ago. Something just flashed across my uh, phone that great apes at the San Diego Zoo become the first non-humans to receive COVID-19 vaccine. Apparently, it's made that. especially yeah. for animals. It's not so – don't get jealous, folks, that, that you got caught in line. Oh, it's be vaccine really for animals? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's experimental. Well, I don't know if they, they're sure it's – but, yeah, 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 it was developed specifically mm-hmm. for them. So don't ah. start getting pissed that, like, you got <laughs> – yeah. That, that would probably cause an issue. I would imagine. Yeah. I just found that fascinating that we even did that, which shows, you know, cause we're talking about mm-hmm. these experiments 40, 50, 60 years ago, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and now, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we care enough about animals to create a vaccine for them.
1: Well, I think particularly a lot has changed with our understanding of primates over the last 50 years. You know, I mean, there was a time when I think people just didn't give it much thought. Um, but now, we, you know, we, we recognize these are these are sentient creatures. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I do wonder if there's going to be a point where we end up banning experiments on monkeys. I, I don't know yeah. that we would. It would be difficult for science to do that because they are often the last model that you work on before you move into human trials. Right. So right. if you can't work on primates, it is going to make things harder for medicine. But it, it does make me wonder if we're not headed in a direction like that.
2: It's creepy. I mean, I I admit, I I get more, and like I said, even with food, it just, it gets, I get, I'm still not there yet that I'm going to become a vegetarian, but the more I think about any of these animals, I like, I met a goat in France, oh my God, what they were the nicest, this goat was the happiest thing that it saw me, I'm like, this goat's acting happy, he goes, oh, he loves people, it's wagging its tail, it's rubbing up against me, the damn thing was a dog
0: well I've tried John and, and I'm Hall- great and we I- eat goats right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to live my life not being a hypocrite It's possible but I love animals and yet I eat meat and it kills yeah,
1: me but it's weird I- to it I- be fair it's you know most of those bread. animals would probably also eat you if they had the chance
0: that's true I- that's this what little I- goat this
2: little goat <laughs> let's come on your chicken <laughs> I mean okay your chickens if you were some like sad old lady with a hundred cats they might eat you yeah my cats Chick- eat my chickens,
1: my- I-, I just want to <laughs> remind you that chickens are small dinosaurs um well, that's and true they, Great yeah point. i watched two of my chickens <laughs> catch a baby bird on the ground and destroy it and oh, so um,
0: they are not, no yeah sure. are I, I would tell you my oh. cats sit there in the window and then oh no murder isn't in their eyes staring at those birds or squirrels the <laughs> oh, trees
1: god. i i for some reason it was more upsetting that the that uh that the chick i know I, I shouldn't be this upset because i have a hawk that tries to oh, get my god. chickens all the time <laughs> it, it, um it, and then i have the chickens yeah. going after baby birds and i was like there's just it's a whole circle of life out here oh my it, god that's i horrible. mean because well, you said you know baby dinosaurs
0: which of course is a better image but you know my guys are basically baby panthers Whatever yeah, you've got, little, little
1: I've got little dinosaurs.
0: If I were on the Serengeti and they saw me and they had the size, trust
1: me, they would if, uh, me, well, I'd be a meal. Rocky, Rocky, the chicken weighs 10 pounds, like she's massive. And if you saw her feet, you would the track she leaves looks like I have a pet dinosaur. You have a
0: female Rocky, too? That's one of our cats.
1: Well, actually, so Rocky is, is like a trans chicken. So she, um, the largest hen in a hen house, if you don't have a rooster, often will take on certain characteristics. So she's our, our rooster hen. She's the biggest one, and so she also crows and uh, guards the other hens. Oh, funny!
0: See, you guys think you're only going to learn about politics? Obviously. You can't eat <laughs> her. <laughs> transplants? Oh, I learn. would
1: never. I would never eat my chickens. They're pets. They're lap chickens. Are they for eggs or are they just pets? <laughs> oh, they they do they do lay eggs. Um, so I and they all lay different colored eggs. Rocky actually lays blue eggs. And right. uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, and they they are lap chickens. There. They right. well, my wife's the question question
0: is a. Is it it's, ironically enough? Is a doctor at Case Western. So when we go up there sometime, I have to
1: come see your. Chicken. You have to come check out my chickens. They're they're very friendly. If you've got peanuts, they will follow you anywhere. Will a chicken come by name? Um, they usually come to the sound of peanuts.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, but I, I mean, but I mean. I'm saying it's not like you can call a
1: specific chicken and it'll come. No, usually, um, just chick, 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 and they'll all come. So <laughs> there's, That's it's so really shady. um, a Are wonderful image to watch five fat little birds run across the yard at you. Are they loving? Um. Florence is quite sweet. Florence likes to be picked up and held and sort of cuddled. Uh, individual
0: yeah. personalities. That's I'm, kind of negotiating, individual I'm
1: negotiating my freezer
2: right now, just so you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to get more information that, oh no, dumb as a brick, couldn't care less. <laughs> you have done, John. All right? so Florence has me a little weirded out then. All right.
1: Florence is a sweetheart. Um, wow. Yeah. Wild. Rocky's quite friendly too. The one who's not mm-hmm. friendly, I have a I have a little goth chicken. I have a black Sumatran chicken, so she's all black. Even her bones are black underneath. Um, and uh, she has a she's has the personality for it. So she, I'm kidding, her name I'm is Elvira.
2: Your pets, but oh, yeah, that's wow. that's fascinating. No, i I've, I've always I like animals, but I've always wished I could sort of meet farm animals more to actually, again, the pig thing. I've heard so much about pigs, um, just to actually see what they're like. I mean, because they are supposed to be so damn smart, like smarter than
1: dogs, I was told. Because people keep pet pigs, actually. They the do. Farm. They do. They get quite large. I had a neighbor who had one, yeah. and they get big quick. <laughs> they, get <you. laughs> they
2: take you over the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, I think we're ready to close this out. Um, any yep, any sure conclusory thing on the science aspect of all of
1: this that we had didn't get to that maybe you wanted to mention in closing. Um, only that I think. It's worth asking. I mean, the book has got lots of fascinating things in it, but I hope people read it and walk away with the concept that how we do science is actually a really subjective thing that depends on where you are and the time period and who's uh, who's in the White House or in government and who's I mean, all of these things are involved in the way science gets done, and what gets funded and what doesn't. And I think a greater understanding of that for all people, for the public in general can only help us uh, in the future as we look towards, you know, what science can do for us and, and, and what it should do.
2: Well, and the ethics discussion is just so interesting because I think it, it, as you said, like we really weren't, I mean, I I'll speak for myself. I really hadn't thought of all the other ethics issues surrounding this other than the obvious, you know, to, to take somebody's head. Um, but it's, it's interesting to have those, it dis- reminds me of law school a little. It's interesting to have those discussions just because, it just kind of expands your mind a little bit thinking about issues you didn't even know were issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I, I, that sounds kind of weird, but I think if you've ever done it, you know what I'm talking about, where all of a sudden your Eureka isn't just the answer. Your Eureka is also the question that you go. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah that is absolutely it. true. I never even thought that was an issue. That's kind of funny. You're right. Would that be okay? That's neat to even have that concept come up on things that you just never even thought whether they were right or wrong. Cause they, because transplanting a monkey head never really existed in your open in window, your <laughs> you and now it does. I it a lot of
1: things that just never crossed my mind. I right? did your opening window <laughs> expanded today,
2: perhaps in a way you didn't expect.
1: <laughs> well, thank you both for having oh, me on. I really I like it. this. this hey, thank
0: you week. so much for giving us, I mean, over an hour, hour 15 of your time. Yeah. We really appreciate it, Brandy. Oh, no problem. It was great. Right. So, folks, Thanks before Brandy signs off, me. I'll just tell you again. Uh, her book is Mr. Humble, Dr. Butcher, A Monkey's Head, The Pope's Neuroscientist, and the Quest to Transplant the Soul. Absolutely a must-read, as I will be doing. Uh,
1: Are you somewhere week. on Twitter or Facebook for folks to find, or no? Oh, I am, uh, at Skilache, so B-S-C-H-I-L-L-A-C-E. But I'm also the only Brandy Skilache in the world, apparently, so you can just Google me.
0: That makes it easy, too. Well, I recommend I follow her. She's It's interesting and fun. As this, and guy.
1: we'll have the name in the description. So, you
2: guys can obviously Google it easily. But, well, all right. Thank you. This was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. All, right. all,
0: right. all right. Take care, Brandy.
2: Well, that was fascinating. I know. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it went into different ways because I thought it was going to be much more, I thought she was going to be polemical and say, no, it's not the same solo when you transplant a head. But I can see where she's getting at because it's, it's ironically, actually, I should have said this when she was on. Maybe, well, okay. I guess actually we did sort of say this. The issue you've got about the soul and who you are comes down to a: the brain itself that's transplanted. How freaky is it for you to be in a different body? And how much did you define your identity via your body?
0: Help right. sexually, uh, but, in terms of beauty, me, right, right? The right? Chemically, your body influences your brain. I mean, in so and the many chemicals ways, influence but, you. Right, exactly. It's hard to know exactly what how how oh. the yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, go on. Yeah. What I was to say really is it's hard to know what, yeah. how much of the brain relies on various aspects of the body and how much it does not.
2: But how, but the, and the second point, which I hadn't thought about until talking to her, was how much your, the, your soul is a matter of the perception of others. And that may, and I don't mean this in the sense of how much it matters to you what they think, but I mean, I never think of the fact that you, that people who know me and love me still, it's part of a whole package of physically looking at me and what I look like and what I sound like. And, oh my God, Cliff, your voice is going to change. If you get, you go into a different brain, if you go into a different body, right? Your voice. I mean, so many things are going to change. And actually, and again, you do get into transgender issues here too. And I've, I've, I, I think that's
0: right. How much of it is your
2: body? How much of it is not, you know, uh, absolutely. Relationship wise. I know somebody who a lesbian couple, that her partner transitioned to a man and what that does for a couple because again again the whole issue of of how are you perceiving that it's not even them perceiving their identity but but that issue of how much you perceive the identity of those around you based on the way they look and talk and everything else uh, it's really it's very well it also reminds me of people who say I don't know if it's antidepressants or what it is, but people who sometimes say it changes their personality entirely or whatever. And, you know, would your friends not like you because they sense that you're a different person, even though obviously you're the same brain,
0: not even well, thinking. Trends, I'm just thinking I mean, different people, body, You mm-hmm. know, retain the same body and maybe whether you're on certain prescriptions or not might, you know, if you're schizophrenic, if you're, I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know. You may be yeah. a different act, somewhat differently that may affect it. So I don't, I would think. Sure. A variety of things too. Actually, you know what?
2: Even think of people in relationships, right? The whole you've changed. We've all changed. I mean, I I watch TV interviews of myself at age 40, and I'm like, oh my God, I spoke that slowly back then. (laughs) 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 Literally, I was like, I mean, people always thought I was fast anyway, but I'm watching going, I don't think I could do a
0: TV interview that slowly today. But but you. We all do. The difference is it's kind of like, I'll say this when you have kids, when you turn around one day, it's like when these old pictures pop up on Facebook. It's right. hard to remember your kids looked like that because you've only seen the gradual change when you haven't right. seen somebody for a while and you see them and they've changed. And they're like, Oh my God. You know, and that's what happens with us. We don't see those gradual changes. as We get older. I feel like the same guy I felt like in my forties as I did in my twenties, but think I of, know yeah. I'm not, I know I have different beliefs. I, I you know, I think differently about things. Life's think experience. Think of, couples who
2: grow apart. think of couples who grow apart right. because and I think it's on its face they changed or excuse yeah. me, at least one of them changed. Right. Right. So all of a sudden, are you the same person? It's, it. it really does get interesting. Actually. Yeah. It gets into a very interesting question of, are you even the same person? Because for example, through no fault of either of you, you just literally could have grown in such different directions. Yeah. Like um, life's hardships, whatever, but literally. Like of the time.
0: It's not somebody's I, fault. It's
2: just. That's what I mean team. like literally could have been like, you know, it wasn't like both of you are trying, but you're both such different people that, eh, you know, I like that other person, but I don't.
0: You don't love it What you had in common with somebody because yeah. you cared more about it when you were 20 may not be the same as when you're yeah. 30, 30. I mean, yeah, you lose your passions, right? You you burn out of
2: your passion, and your passion was <laughs> anyway. It's just interesting to think of. Um, she got
0: me thinking. She sure did, John. Me too. So like, that was very interesting. But at this point, I'm going to soon be bumping up on having to go get a child. I
2: know. Well, we've been talking an hour and twenty minutes anyway, so we're we can call it quits. Um, yep, guys. There
0: were, we we you know there's some political stories. We'll be back on Tuesday and oh. we're going. We'll cover those. And but, Tuesday we have our interview with Midas Touch. Well, that's right, those guys. Well, Super that will be a political brothers. one. That one will be much more political. We promise you. And probably so, a lot. Of fun I think too. here and there, you know, we get to, we risk saying some of the same things over yeah. and over again. I like that this week. We had Dan Decker, who wrote a great book, and, and we could talk to you about energy yeah, turning yeah. oil green. And we had Brandy Scalace, I think yeah. I said it right, but Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, who wrote an interesting book. And both of those things touch on politics, but we were a little more focused on energy and head transplants. And, yeah. you know, that, that's not, good. I, that, know I look at it like NPR, like I started. For know, the well, but it is, though. I
2: think it's kind of like NPR, though. I, th- I think it's interesting to get sort of intellectual sometimes, anyway, on just interesting topics. A little palate cleanser occasionally that yep. isn't nearly as angry as Correct. our usual pod. Well, we hope bear. you enjoyed it. Yep. It. Okay, guys. Then we will uh, talk to you on Tuesday when we Tuesday Tuesday when we I mean, meet I just old... like Midas guys. The Midas Touch boys. Okay. Talk to you later. Take care.